0: Hey, men, good morning. What a nice-looking group. Good to see you. Hey, a couple of reminders. Men, don't forget about your retreat coming up. Speaking of retreat, many of our gals are up in Prescott this weekend, freezing, but having a great time up there. Um, So be praying for them as they travel back down the mountain this afternoon from Prescott. Uh, Also, don't forget about the Greg Laurie uh, crusade coming up in June. That information is back there at the men's table as well. This coming Wednesday, we're going to be talking about the Christians' great assurance and hope. And we hope that many of you will be able to come out on Wednesday night for our Bible study time. And then next Sunday, right after church, for those of you that can make it, arrange it, uh, we are going to go over to our property and have a time of prayer over there on the property. And uh, we're just asking that uh, a couple of things maybe from you uh, that this week, maybe you could make some arrangements with some folks to carpool so that we can have, you know, less cars over there. And when you get there, as far as parking goes, there is limited space right in front of the property before you get to the fence for a few cars. But I'm going to recommend that you park over in the public service, um, public safety building parking lot area that's diagonal from the property. It's paved, it's over there, there's going to be plenty of spaces over there. And then you can just be careful as you navigate, you know, crossing those streets and actually getting over to the property. but that is next Sunday after, right after church. And then of course, our Sunday that we're gonna set aside for getting a picture taken over there with everyone will be the first Sunday in May. So we hope that many of you can join us over there. Maybe some of you would like to uh, walk around the property and pray, our prayer team has put together some stuff and there's a display out there from our prayer team about next week as well. And that's just sort of going to launch us into a season of prayer for our church over that building and over the project that's going up. Obviously, we want to pray for safety for all the workers that will be working over there. And just for everything to just go smoothly and that there are not any major, you know, hiccups in the project or whatever. So we'll be letting you know more about that as well. Mark's Gospel chapter 9 this morning, beginning at verse 30 Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. I want to go back to last week for just a moment and and by way of introduction. You remember when Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the religious leaders of Israel and I'm gonna be killed. I'm going to give up my life. And remember Peter grabs a hold of the Lord Pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him. You can't allow that, Jesus, you know. And Jesus basically says to Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan, that that you are not looking at things from a, a divine, heavenly perspective. You are allowing your mind to totally look at this from an earthly, a human perspective, and you've got to get your mind lined up with God. You've got to see things from God's perspective. And so Jesus sort of now is going to take off on that because he's got to teach these folks who are following him about some things that's that's sort of going to be upside down from the way they have been thinking and the way the world thinks about things. But this is the way God looks at things. And Jesus is going to teach them about service, he's going to teach them about greatness, and he's going to teach them about his kingdom. And we want to begin by looking at Jesus teaching them about service. You'll notice in verses 30 through 32, again, that once they leave, that Jesus once again tells his followers, look, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. After three days, he will rise from the dead. And again, the Bible says that they really didn't get it, and they were even afraid to ask Jesus about further clarification on that. And the implication in the original language is that the reason that they were afraid to ask is because they really didn't want to know. They they really didn't want to know. They they kept hearing about Jesus dying, but they really didn't want to know. They, They wanted to just pretend like that wasn't going to happen. They were just denying reality. And then the Bible says this. They came to Capernaum, this nice little seaside village there. And I believe that the home that they went into, the Bible says, or that they went into a home, but I believe that it was probably the home of Peter. And as they were sitting around there, Jesus says, hey, guys, what were you talking about on the trip? Now, he knew, obviously. And the Bible says that they were like, we weren't talking about anything. No, you didn't hear us say anything. No, we because the Bible says that here's what they were talking about. They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And they were sort of ashamed to admit that that's what preoccupied their conversation on the way to Capernaum. Who was going to be the greatest? Really? Especially in light of what we saw last week, that after God empowered them to be able to heal and cast out demons, they couldn't do it because they weren't relying on the Lord, and so they failed. And then Jesus is telling them, I'm going to give up my life. And all they are concerned about is which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them about serving him and service. He says, look, if anyone wants to be first from God's perspective, He must be last of all and servant of all. Verse 35. A servant. One who doesn't seek to be first. One who seeks to be last in the sense of, I'm going to look out for others and serve others before I do myself. I'm going to carry out for others, maybe sometimes even disregarding my own interests. And then he takes a little child, and he places the child right in the middle of all them. And he takes him in his arms, and he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me only, but the one who sent me. Now, this is one of those passages, as we're going to see, where it's really important that we pay attention to every word. Because I've heard this passage and others taught for years that what Jesus is teaching his disciples is this. You and I need to be like children. But that's not what he's teaching here. In fact, when it comes to being like a child and service, that really doesn't fit, does it? Because let's face it, most children, they're pretty selfish. They, they want what they want, and they want it when they want it. And they don't really have a lot of regard for anyone else. They're children. They just know what they want. The key word here is welcomes. He said whoever welcomes one of these little children, that's what service is all about. Why? Why does he talk about welcoming, in a sense, serving a child? Paying attention to a child because in Jesus' day, children were not valued at all. It's the extreme of many today who have went the opposite way. And now we've come to a society that many times idolizes children. And that children now run the home and children are the center of the home and everything revolves around the child. Well, that's just as bad as not valuing a child. And that's why Jesus says, if you welcome a child, that's really showing you what service is all about. Why? Well, for, again, for the most part, a little child, especially, until they're taught to do this, they're not going to thank you for the things you do for them. They're not. They might even be incapable of speaking at this point. All they're doing is accepting your service. You're not going to get thanks for it, you're not going to be appreciated. You're not going to be patted on the back. And Jesus is saying, that's what greatness is all about. He's looking at his disciples going, you want recognition. You, You always want to get something in return for the things that you do. But I'm telling you that true greatness is where you and I can pour out our lives in service for others and maybe not get anything. Jesus saying, don't expect anything in return, because if that's the fuel for your service, you won't be serving very long. If you're always looking to others to be appreciated, you won't be serving very long. Though we should be thankful to one another, though we should show appreciation to one another, we will never show the appreciation and thankfulness to one another that we probably should. And let's even take it a step further. Let's talk about Jesus. Did Jesus wait around to get appreciated before he did anything? No. In fact, even what he did by sacrificing his life for all of us, has he ever really been worshipped and adored and appreciated the way he should have been for what he's done? No. But that didn't stop him from serving. And so Jesus saying, when you welcome a little child, you don't expect a thank you. You don't expect to be paid back because they can't pay you back. You don't expect anything in return. And greatness in, in my eyes is when you and I can give and give and give and not expect anything and not do things simply for what am I going to get back for it. In fact, you see this principle all through the teaching of Jesus and the Bible. Let me take you to a couple of them Quickly, this morning, if you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, just back one book, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Look at the first four verses. Be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Thus, whenever you do charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that people will praise them. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. Notice what Jesus is saying. If you and I are motivated simply to gain the praise of people and and appreciation for people for what we do and we draw attention to ourselves simply because we want people to notice then Jesus says, there's your reward. That's it. That's, you'll get it, but that's all you're going to get. But then he says, but when you do your giving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your gift may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And the Bible teaches that, yes, God will reward us for every little thing that we do. So don't worry about, Jesus says, people not noticing. That's not what we serve or why we should be serving. That's not what greatness is all about. Greatness can serve others and lay down their lives for others without always the getting something in return back. The Bible does teach it. God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that you have demonstrated for his name and having served and continuing to serve the saints, Hebrews 6, verse 10. God will never forget what you and I do, and God will compensate and reward and bless us, but that should never be our primary motivation. And then if you'll turn over to the book of Luke, one book past the book of Mark, where in Luke chapter 14, Jesus teaches this. Beginning in verse 12 of Luke 14. And let me say this. Jesus isn't saying to us here, don't ever invite your friends or family over for a dinner. That's not what he's saying here. But what he is saying is, don't always make it about Inviting people over or showing hospitality or serving them with what in mind is, what am I going to get in return for it? Intentionally do things for others sometimes, knowing you won't get anything back because they can't repay you. In fact, think of the verse in James, where James even says to all of us, pure and undefiled religion before God is to take care of widows and orphans in their time of need. Well, obviously, for the most part, they're never going to be able to do anything back for us or pay us back. But that's that's why it's so cool, because we're just doing it without ever expecting anything in return. And notice what Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends only or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors so that they can you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. When you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is what Jesus means by welcoming a little child. He's teaching them in light of the fact that they're arguing about which one's the greatest And Jesus saying, I'll tell you what greatness is. Greatness is when you and I can serve others and lay down our lives for others and give and give and give and not do it because of what others then do back to us. Expecting anything in return. Doing it simply because we love and we do things for others because we love God and we love them whether we ever get anything in return or not. That's real greatness from Jesus's perspective. Then you come back to chapter nine of Mark and you look at verse 38. And here comes John. Now, when we think of John, Usually John has a pretty good reputation. You know, he's the disciple that Jesus loved, laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper and stuff. Usually when we think about disciples that really are sort of off track and, you know, put their their foot in their mouth and stuff, we usually think of Peter, right? You know what? John had his own issues. Because remember, John was one of the sort of inner circle Peter James and John they were the ones that were able to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration I mean, you can you can just see it now John would have been alive in this day and age John you need to write a book seeing Jesus from the inside or my secret time with Jesus you know but I think at this point you can start to see that maybe some of the privileges that John was getting instead of leading him to humility was leading him to pride. Because notice in verse 38, now Jesus begins to talk not just about greatness, but about service to his disciples. And John says to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now here again, one word is very key to unlocking the meaning of all this. Notice John doesn't say he wasn't following you, Jesus. He said he wasn't following us. Is John displaying a little bit of pride here? Like, well, what we're involved with, Jesus, because we're actually with you, is more important than what other people are doing? Could it be also that some of the other disciples are still sort of smarting because they couldn't cast out this demon and now this guy who's not part of the inner circle of Jesus seems to be able to cast out a demon? And John's trying to suppress it and saying, we tried to get him to stop. And notice Jesus says, don't stop him. Why are you stopping him? Because the one who does a miracle in my name, will will he be able soon afterward to say anything bad about me? Whoever is not against us is for us, John. What are you trying to stop them for? Don't you understand that service isn't about us? It's always about the Lord and others. Now listen. Again, what Jesus isn't saying is this. If this man would have somehow been teaching heresy or doing something, again, ungodly or unbiblical, obviously Jesus would have called him out on it. And we should too. But what John here is displaying is this spirit of exclusivism, of we're the only ones that's really got this right, right? Right? There can't be anybody else in another camp that's that's got it right. We're, We're the exclusive ones. Can I tell you that ever since denominations and all of this has come about, that's exactly what that is. We're the only ones that's got it right. Nobody else has got it right but us. That's John. And we have to be careful of that in serving the Lord. Are there pastors out there that I believe are unbiblical? Are there churches out there that are unbiblical? Absolutely. And I have no trouble calling them out on it. But there are other churches and other pastors that just because they're not doing it my way doesn't make them wrong. Because they're following the same Jesus that I'm following and they're trying to promote the same Jesus that I'm trying to promote. They may not be doing it the way we would do it, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. And that's where a lot of Christians, when it comes to serving the Lord, they have a hard time because it always has to be done the way I would do it. And we have to be careful of that. Another thing that John here is displaying that really cuts in on serving God is having to be in control. That's where many Christians struggle too. If they can't be in control of everything that's going on, if they can't micromanage everything, they just simply can't release it because I got to be in control of every facet of it. And Jesus is trying to teach a very important disciple here something. He's saying, don't you understand that what God does is always bigger than you? And it's always bigger than us? And therefore, when you and I serve the Lord, we've got to come at it from that standpoint. God is always going to be doing stuff bigger than us, bigger than you and me, and even bigger than our church. And we've got to get to a point where we're okay with that. Because like Jesus said, if they're not against us, then they're for us. Isn't that why even Paul in the book of Philippians even admitted, he said, look, there are guys out there that are preaching Christ sincerely and there are other people out there who are preaching Christ, but they're just trying to do it to undermine me and my ministry. Remember what Paul said? He said, I'm rejoicing that Christ is preached. If, if it's negative against me, that's fine because I don't serve the Lord for me. I'm here to lay down my life for the Lord and for others. And if Christ is being proclaimed by them, I'm okay with it. They might not like me. They may be trying to undermine who I am, but if they're preaching Christ, I'm okay. Philippians chapter two. That's what Jesus is saying here. When we serve him, it can't be about us. It's gotta be about others. In fact, most of the time, When God is doing something in our lives or even allowing something to come into our lives, it's not about us, even though, again, what's our first thing is, God, why are you allowing this to come into my life? Why am I going through this trouble? It might not be about us at all. It might be that God wants to use us and our life and what we're going through and how we're going through it to touch somebody else's life. But we look at things just like John so often is, how is it affecting me? How does it look about us? And Jesus again is trying to get his eyes off of him and get it on the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, God is always going to do things that involve more than us. That's part of why so many Christians miss out on what God could do because they can't work well with others, they can't serve well with others. It's, it's got to be the Lone Ranger. I've got to do this by myself. Not realizing that the more people you get involved in what God is doing, the greater things that can happen because we've got to learn not only to be dependent on the Lord, but dependent on each other, and that others can bring things into that equation that maybe I wouldn't do it exactly that way. But if that's the way God is leading them to do it, then I need to again release that, because if it's not against Christ, then it's for him. And it may not be the way I would do it. It may not be the way I would lead it, but I've got to be okay with it and let God rule the bigger picture and not always have to be in control of everything. And that's what Jesus was teaching, not only John, but the rest of his disciples. And I love this in verse 41, really important verse here. He says, I tell you the truth, whoever gives even a cup of water because you bear Christ's name will never lose his reward. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, John, not only have you missed it about your place in the kingdom, you have missed it as far as how you measure service in my kingdom. Because I'm here to tell you that there is no act that is insignificant to me. And there is no person who is insignificant to me. A cup of water, really? Yeah. God notices a cup of water? Yes, he does. In fact, later on in the Gospel of Mark, if I can find it real quickly. I can't find it right now, but it's the story of the widow's might. Jesus is there watching people drop stuff into the offering box. And he says, all these people have come by and they put in out of their abundance. But here comes this widow. She comes in and just drops a very little bit in but that so impresses, impresses Jesus. Why? Because she didn't have hardly anything to give. That was it. So she gave very sacrificially where Jesus says, all these people that were dumping a lot into the offering box, they had a lot to give. They had a lot more left over. She didn't. And Jesus was impressed by that. Again, not because of the amount, but because it was a great amount in Jesus' mind. He noticed that. Just like he notices the cup of water. So you and I, when we serve the Lord, we've got to get past this idea that because I feel like I'm not doing something big, that it's not significant. There are no insignificant acts when it comes to the Lord. If we are seeking to glorify him in any way, then he says, even giving a cup of water in my name, I'll notice that. I'll notice the widow's might. So many Christians, well, the only thing I can do is pray. That's a big thing. Do not minimize the little things. There are no little things when it comes to God. So often Christians don't want to serve because they can't do something significant or big. And what Jesus here is trying to teach John and the rest of his followers is, everything's significant to me. Don't categorize or compartmentalize, well, I can't do something big, so I'm not doing it at all. Everything is big to God. Everything. Everything. Then if you go over to chapter 10, to verse 13, Jesus begins to teach his followers more about the kingdom, about how important it is to be dependent instead of self-reliant. Once again, notice people were bringing little children to him, For him to touch. But the disciples scolded those who brought them. Jesus can't be bothered by little children. He's got more important things to do. Notice the Bible says Jesus got indignant. Hot. He was righteously angry with his disciples and said to them, Let the little children come to me. And don't you dare try to stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus had time for those in that society that weren't valued. And Jesus trying to teach his followers, everyone is important to me in my kingdom. There are no people that are more valuable and more important than others. I even love those in my society that the rest of society really doesn't value at all. And then he says, I tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never even enter it. What's he teaching here about his kingdom? That his kingdom is all about grace. Once again, notice, it's not about being like a child. It's receiving like a child. Notice in verse 13 that the children were being brought because they were so young, they couldn't come to Jesus on their own. They didn't have the wherewithal, the strength, or whatever to be able to go to Jesus by themselves. So they had to be brought. And Jesus is using this again as an illustration of don't come with your own stuff. Don't come full of self. Come like a little child and receive the kingdom of God. Receive it. Don't bring anything with you. Unless we come like a helpless child with nothing to contribute except empty hands, Jesus says, we will never enter the kingdom of God. Children, often are in a place where all they can do is receive. They can't give anything. These were very, very young children. Think of babies and at the most toddlers. They have nothing to give at that point in their life. All they can do is receive. And here's another thing. At that age especially, they never refuse a gift out of self-sufficient pride. And that's why Jesus says unless you and I receive the kingdom of God like a little child, we'll never even get in. Because it's not about what we bring. It's not about our good works and how good and moral and upright we are. It's about rejecting our self-righteousness, which is nothing before God. It's about acknowledging our depravity and acknowledging the holiness of God and saying, God, I've got nothing to bring where I can earn this standing and salvation in this relationship with you. I simply come as a little child just wanting to receive from you, God, because I have nothing in and of myself to be able to bring. And Jesus now is going to use that very principle to teach all about not just how we get into the kingdom of God, but how we navigate inside that kingdom, even as a Christian. How do we receive from God? How do we receive what God wants to pour into our lives and give us? Well, it's not by coming filled with ourselves. It's not by coming filled with our stuff. It's not by coming with our own plans and all that. It's about laying all that aside and emptying ourselves of ourselves and all of our stuff and coming to God and say, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? Which is why then Jesus, I think again, no accident, That notice it says in verse 17, now as Jesus then was starting out on his way, someone ran up to him. And that someone in other gospels is defined as a rich, young ruler. I mean, here was a guy that was so different from anyone else that usually approached Jesus because there were all kinds of sick people and diseased people, demon-possessed people that were approaching Jesus for help. And here comes a guy who has everything the world could have. First of all, let's take that. He was rich. Mark says he was wealthy. Whoa! Then the Bible says he was young, handsome had his health. He was in the prime of life. He wasn't coming to Jesus because he was sick or ill or didn't have physical strength. He had it all at that point. And he was a ruler. He was a leader. I mean, you can imagine someone like this even comes into a local church. It's like, wow, we need to get them to come here. They got it all. They're rich. They're young. They're a ruler. All the single young ladies are going, oh, my goodness. But notice, there was something missing in this young man's life. Even though from the world's perspective, he had everything, which is why he comes to Jesus and he says, as he fell on his knees. So he's exhibiting, in a sense, some desperation here. But we're going to see it's desperation up to a point. It's like many people today. They get to a certain place in life and it's like, I I need to go to church or I need to go to God and I'm going through some crisis or defining moment in my life. And, And they show some desperation, but we'll see how far that desperation takes them. For the young man said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there again, key words, I do. Like a little child, only not the good way. I do. Parent. Grandparents, somebody trying to help them, could help them. No, I do. I do. Self-reliant. I don't want your help, God. I don't want anybody else's help. I do. And that's the way this young man came. What can I do, God, to inherit? Now, obviously, at this point, he didn't recognize Jesus as God. He just simply said, I recognize you as a good teacher. And Jesus said to him then, why are you calling me good, me good? No one is good except God. Why is Jesus saying that? Because he's trying to point him toward God and he's trying to get him to see that you have, a, you have an inadequate understanding of goodness because you're just calling me good. And the, yeah, good, but, and you have an in, in, un, inadequate understanding of your depravity and of God's holiness. You, you need to get some stuff clarified here. And I want you to see ultimately that I am God, but I want you to think about what I've asked you. Am I really good? Because if I am, then I'm God, not just a good teacher. Then Jesus asks him, do you know the commandments? Now, in the Net Bible, it says, you know the commandments. But I think in the original, it's Jesus actually asking him, do you know the commandments? And then Jesus starts to list off some of the 10 commandments. And the young man said, oh, I not only know him, he says, teacher, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these since my youth. Oh, my goodness. Really? That's really what you think? Basically, that I'm good enough. Well, if he was, then why was he falling on his knees before this good teacher and asking him what he could do to inherit? Now, give him one thing. He doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, how can I multiply my portfolio? Or... uh, Jesus, can you, can you talk to me about uh, uh, what, what kind of, uh, you know, getting a good mate for the rest of my life and giving me some advice there and all those other things. He, d- he does come to Jesus and say, I'm talking to you and want to know about eternal life. So he is in some way looking past this present age to the future. But he's still so mixed up. And he still thinks that he can do something. And Jesus is trying to strip away all of this young man's self-delusion in thinking that he has, he's good enough. He's, he's going to make it, right? I've got enough to offer God. I can bring all this stuff and show. Because again, in his mind, like many people today, it's because I have all this stuff that, that shows that God has blessed me, right? So me and God are good, right? Or else I'd have bad health and I wouldn't have a big bank account and I wouldn't have the position that I have in the world. It's, it's evidence that God, you know, thinks very highly of me, right? And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and felt love for him. Oh, can you imagine that look like, Oh, you poor young man, you just, you don't get it, do you? You don't get what the kingdom of God is all about. You're still self-reliant. You're still relying on yourself. You still think you're good enough because you have no concept of your own depravity and you have no concept of the holiness of God. So Jesus says, you lack one thing. Now, obviously, the one thing is Jesus, but if this guy's going to insist on doing something, then Jesus says this. Then go sell whatever you have, give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me on my terms, not on your terms. Why did he say that? Well, because again, he's trying to show this young man, you really don't keep the commandments like you think. Because one of the great commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, then give away all that stuff that means nothing to me and you come and follow me on my terms. And again, that's where many times we go wrong in the kingdom is we want to follow God, but we want to follow him on our terms, not on his terms. If it's his kingdom and he's the king, then he calls the shots. And you'll notice something else here. Jesus doesn't lower the standard for this young man. He doesn't make an exception so that this young man can somehow get in because he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler and he's got all these things to offer. No. In fact, the Bible says at this statement, And I want you to really notice this. Verse 22 of Mark 10. This man looked sad and went away sorrowful for he was very rich. You mean somebody had an encounter with Jesus and they went away sad and grieving? Yeah. Yeah. Because he wouldn't let go. Even for the kingdom of God, he wouldn't let go. See, that's what Jesus is trying to teach about his kingdom. That he's not just to be part of our life, he's to be the priority of our life. That the kingdom isn't just something we just sort of tack on to the rest of our lives. It is what consumes us. It is what drives us. It is what fuels us. It is what we are committed to and devoted to above everything else. Isn't that why Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added to you. This young man couldn't let go of his self and his self-reliance and his stuff. And all of that, and yet here is the wealth of heaven standing before this young man in the person of Jesus Christ, offering himself to him, saying, come, follow me, and you'll have riches beyond what you could ever imagine. But this young man could not let go of these earthly things to follow the king of kings. And I fear that there are many churches filled with people today, every Sunday, who hear the invitation of God in their life. Come, follow me, put me first, put my kingdom first. Let everything go that's, that's hindering you from truly being a disciple of mine. And just like this young man, they can't let go. And they go out that door, sort of crestfallen, a little sad, a little grieving, because they know They're missing something. And they know that they're on the brink of something big here, but they just can't seem to let go of it. Jesus is saying to us today as a church, Oasis Church, I got so much I want to pour into you, so much of my riches and, and resources that I want to give you, but you got to let go of what you want and what you can bring and all of yourself, and you got to empty yourself of all that church, and you got to let me pour the wealth of heaven inside. And That's when we as a church will truly experience God like never before. And that same principle is true for us as individuals. The kingdom of God is really realized whenever you and I come to that place with Jesus. And unlike this young man, we're able to just let go of certain things because we see that the value of Jesus and following him and his kingdom is of greater worth and value than anything that I'm already holding on to. Think of it. Think of it. He's standing in front of Jesus. The wealth of heaven is standing in front of this man. And yet he says, no. He says, I'm going to hold on to these earthly riches and to my earthly standing and to what I want in life and I'm going to depend upon me. I'm saying no, Jesus, to your invitation. And yet he doesn't go away skipping and dancing and happy. He's still, not, he's still not fulfilled. He's still not satisfied. He knows that something deeply is missing in his life, but he can't let go. Don't be like this young man today. Let go of whatever God wants you to let go of to experience him in a greater way. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for the power of your word. We've discussed many things here this morning. Greatness by your definition, service by your definition, and what it means to be part of your kingdom on your terms. God, we're honest. As human beings, (laughs) our flesh rises up against that. We don't like that. We want it to be about us, not you or others. And we want to rely on ourselves. We want to be in control of everything. We don't like to relinquish control to anyone, including you. So God, I pray today that the word of God would just hit home to all of us. Because God, I even believe that again, you've got great things in store for this church, for us as a body of believers. But if we're truly going to experience you at that level, we can't be like this young man. We've got to let go of all the things we're bringing to you. Let go of self, our stuff, our self-reliance, and we've got to let you fill us up with the wealth of heaven, what only you can give us, God. So may we do that today. May we begin to see things, God, from your perspective and not from our own. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.